This is The Faithful Expositor, a podcast from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Shepherdville Mills Baptist Church. Welcome back to another edition of The Faithful Expositor. I am your host, Ryan Tillman, Associate Pastor of Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church, and we're here uh, in our studio at 900 Union Street uh, with our senior pastor, Jonathan Sims. And Brother Jono, it is True Church Week. Are you excited? I am. I have been preparing for quite some time, and I've been prepared now for a few weeks, and so, you know, I'm kind of to the point now of dedication, meditation, all things geared toward the conference, and uh, just, you know, getting your heart and your spirit ready, and it's exciting. Uh, I'm excited for this year's theme and the nine maxims, as Brother Jeff calls it, of the kind of churches we're trying to plant, the kind of pastors we're trying to raise up. It's 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 the bedrock, the nerve center, the heart muscle of everything we stand for in church planting and mission work. And so I really believe, though this ground has been plowed, I believe it's going to be plowed more deeply this year than it ever has before. I think it's going to help some brothers in a way that um, perhaps never has before, and also uh, be a strong, compelling voice to pastors out there that are looking for a place to partner and cooperate that this is where they need to be. And so I'm very excited about it this year. I know um, mm-hmm. I'm not getting to attend this year uh, as Paige and I will be in the hospital, hopefully uh, having a safe delivery of our second child. But um, every year I'm there, uh, it always happens, never fails to happen, um, just because of uh, the respect that so many of the men have there. There's always lots of questions for yeah, you right? Um, it, after you preach or even just in between uh, someone else preaching. Um, and so, but I expect this year to be a lot more questions uh, for you after services in, just in light of those things, the nine maxims, um, striving to be a biblically healthy church, what that looks like. And I hope so, because I think we learn most when we're asking questions and having our questions answered. And so that's some invaluable time. And I look forward to it and look forward to, um, you know, some of the sweetest times are just as you're walking down the hall or standing around in the uh, worship center and have an opportunity to fellowship with brothers and, like you said, answer those questions. It's just a really, really neat time to see some brothers helped and sanctified and matured on down the road for greater usefulness to Christ and His church. Amen. And we hope and uh, that's our goal with this podcast. And this um, episode is uh, definitely one of those. We prayed for that. Um, before we began, just ask the Lord to bless it um, and to be a an exhortation, uh, a rebuke, even if necessary, but um, just a blessing to all of you that are listening. And if you've been keeping up with us, we have um, dove into the qualifications of a pastor. 
as Brother John knows, you've been preaching uh, verse by verse through the book of Titus. Um, got finished with chapter 1, but we're a little bit behind in the podcast on it. We're still dealing with the qualifications all the way back um, in, in the first nine verses. Um, and you, uh, in your first message uh, on Titus, uh, very clearly split these qualifications into two subgroups, both under that, ty- that, that heading of being blameless, blameless in the house and then blameless in God's house. Uh, and we wanted to devote this podcast uh, to hammering home uh, that first subpoint of blameless in his own house, and that's the husband of one wife. Um, Brother John O., you and your uh, notes that are here before me, but even in your sermon as you uh, opened it up, you told us as a church that this is very simple. Why? It's very simple if you exegete the text and you're text-driven it becomes confusing only if you're circumstance-driven. And, you know, sadly, when it comes to this issue of divorce, which is what we're dealing with here, uh, the husband of one wife, so many guys um, decide where they're going to land when they're really not at the state they need to be making that decision at. And I've watched through the years brothers not really give a sound trumpet-like voice on this until divorce strikes their family, touches one of their sons or their daughters or someone very, very close to them. And then in the name of sympathy, in the name of empathy, in the name of compassion, they waffle, they they compromise they um, allow circumstances to dictate to them where they're going to land on this I had a very wise brother at the outset of my ministry in my first church he was actually retiring so he was at the end of his race I was just beginning mine and he said something to me in my first church out of seminary he said brother you two things you better make your mind up on. You're going to be tested here more than any place else in your ministry. You better theologically, doctrinally determine where you stand on the issue of divorce. And then secondly, you'd better decide now how that's going to affect who you marry and who you don't. In other words, who you perform weddings for and who you don't. And I would echo that back to anybody listening, any pastor listening. And let me say at the outset, brother, you may disagree with me. I know there's a lot of people that are going to take issue with my interpretation on these texts. I know they may uh, disagree some with my stance or how I apply it. And I can still love you and you can still be my brother. But the word still holds, and that is this. I've made my choice. I've made my stance. You better make yours. And what we're here to discuss today is what mine is Mm. and theologically how I got here and where I stand. And um, 
and and through 35 years of ministry, brother, I've revisited this, revisited this, revisited this, and you'll do that when people check you on it, when people challenge you on it. And I say this very, very humbly, brother, I've never seen yet a reason to alter my position. Now, there's many positions you know I have altered, but this is not one that I have ever felt a biblical compulsion at all to move an inch of, mm. of, of the place the Lord led me to when I was in my 20s. And so I hope that kind of sets up a little bit of why we're here and what we're discussing. I, I remember, and we were talking about it over in the office before coming over, mm. you know, five years ago when I started, this was one of the first lessons you taught me. Mm-hmm be settled here. Yep. I remember going through Brock Kilburn's ordination and you charging Brock be settled here. Um, and you taking us back to that retiring pastor uh, at your first church out in Texas, giving you that admonition as well. Why, before jumping in, just what what has been helpful about that pastor giving you that advice early on and you setting your course that you haven't changed. I, I mean, you've said that uh, publicly and privately. You, who you were then on this issue is who you are today. The first thing that comes to my mind, and this is like we say every week, is totally unscripted, brother. And um, But the first thing that comes to my mind when you say that is, he was right in so many ways, but the, the one that's most practical, because practical is where you're going to live on issues like this, because you're dealing with people you know, mm. family members, church members, whatnot. For me, I can say, and I did even when I was younger, but I can say now with even more authority and more um, experience and longevity, I love you, brother, sister, I love you, but this is my settled position. This is a conviction, a deeply held conviction that I settled early in my ministry, and I've made a commitment to the Lord that I'm not going to depart from this. I've revisited it many, many times, and as I've said, I've seen nothing to compel me to change my position on divorce, and so I have to respectfully and lovingly decline um, your invitation to do your wedding for these reasons and then I'll always take the time you know to be patient and explain to them why and brother this has been um, everybody from aunts and uncles to um, uh, siblings to nieces and nephews to people that have been members of my church for decades and they understand that it's nothing personal they understand that I'm not like cherry picking hmm. and all of a sudden decided, no, I just don't want to do your wedding. And I guess when you have as much history as I have, um, now it's already firmly fixed in everybody's minds and they kind of know what I will do and what I won't do. And so I say this lovingly, but most people know not to even go there because I'm not going to change my position just because I get an invitation to do a wedding or, you know, preach an event or whatever the case may be. And so I believe it just helps you, brother, to be consistent and um, to have a course that's uh, biblical and very easily discernible and one that people understand. Mm. 
and at least respect you on that level, that this is your conviction, and you feel that in honoring that, you're honoring the Lord, and you can't go against it. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in jumping in here, we all are going to agree, husband of one wife, so polygamy is completely off the table. Yes. This is not a, there's no license. Right. And and polygamy has never been a Christian church issue. There's nowhere in 2,000 years of Christendom where a church struggled with polygamy. Um, some brothers will recoil and say, well, what about polygamy in the Old Testament? What about a man that had multiple wives in the Old Testament? And this would be my response. As Paul says, you know, uh, sometimes speaking of other things from the beginning, it was not so. You know, you go back and it was one man, one woman. And Jesus kind of addresses that in Matthew chapter 19. Um, God's will and intent from the very beginning was for one man and one woman to be married for life. Mm. Anything other than that, brother, is a departure. Even though some of the patriarchs might have had some multiple wives, even though some of the kings had concubines, look at what it brought into their mm-hmm. lives. Um, it, it, it simply was not the will of God and um, it was a departure from the original design of the Lord. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one mm. flesh. That's the original desire of God, and anything other than that is a departure. So, no, we're not talking about polygamous relationships. Yeah. So, hopefully, all of our listeners across the board were 100% in agreement there. I hope and pray. But we've come to talk about what probably um, we all don't agree on is the issue that grows out of this and that you've said it, the issue surrounding divorce. Right. Um, Because you said very clearly um, in your sermon and then, you know, it's right here in your manuscript in front of me, that little word one, I'm quoting, you means one. Not two, not three, not four or more. Uh, it's the simple question, the easiest of them all. Brother, how many wives have you had? And the answer must be none or one. Right. And that's it. Yeah. There would be one exception and only one, and that is Paul makes an allowance in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for a brother whose wife had died. And then he says he's free to marry only in the Lord. So we would recognize that as, you know, a uh, explanation of what would be an exception. And that's the only one uh, that I'm aware of in all of the Scripture. Let me say one other thing, backing up by the way of introduction. And again, this is unscripted, so we don't have a flow chart here. But I want to say this. If I don't, I'll forget it. To the brother that's listening, Um, If we are somewhat influential to help him today, praise the Lord. If we're not, though, and he goes a different way, I want to just warn any brother listening, you're going to have conflict whichever way you go. Mm -hmm. It's 50-50 right down the middle. You're going to have a 50% agree with you and 50% disagree with you whichever way you go. You go my way or you don't. (laughs) Don't think for a minute that if you choose a way different from me, oh, well, I've alleviated the conflict. No, sir. Um, 
I don't I'm not aware of a more polarizing issue. Yeah. I'm not aware of a more contentious issue than divorce. And that's why this elder pastor said to me, because of that, mm-hmm. because it's so contentious and polarizing, you had better make up your mind where you're standing. And now I'm 35 years into it, and, and I'm very thankful I, that the Lord led me to make the theological choices that I've made. I'm comfortable with it. And by God's grace, I, I see no reason why I won't finish my race here. Amen. So, Pastor, I told you, you know, before we walked over, I just wanted to simply ask you, what is divorce? It's a sin. It's a sin straight up, brother. And I think we forget that. Um, And by the way, it's a sin God hates. That's a direct quote Mm -hmm. of Scripture. God hates divorce. Now, everybody always wants to start running with their disclaimers. Yeah. God's merciful. We know that. God's gracious. We know that. God is forgiving. Absolutely. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin, you know, but we can't, with all of our disclaimers, take away the veracity and the power and the punch of that statement that God hates divorce. You you can't take two and make one and then divide one and get two again. It's a permanent uh, marriage is a permanent union in the sight of God, broken only by death. That's God's will. That's God's intent from the very beginning. So divorce is a sin in which two people um, decide that they're going to go their way instead of God's way, and they're going to choose to end what God said should not be ended. Now, I know we're going to unpack this. There's one exception, again, as I talked a moment ago about an exception. And for 2,000 years of church history, theologians have called Matthew chapter 19 the exception clause, where Jesus said, if a man puts his, away his wife or divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, he commits adultery, and whoever marries her that's put away commits adultery. That's the only exception, brother, where God allows divorce. And the truth is people get divorced for the most frivolous of reasons, Mm. even in the church. People end a marriage for the, the most unscriptural means with very, very little thought and it's sad, but divorce has just become embraced. It's yeah. just become accepted. It's just become normal. It's just, well, this is just the way it is. And uh, this was what Christ was speaking about in Matthew chapter 19. And there's other places as well, chapter 5, um, that he his stance on divorce was shocking. Christ's stance on marriage was shocking mm. to the disciples to the standpoint that they even said, well, if this is true, it would be good for a man not to even marry. In other words, they just couldn't get their arms around the definitiveness of Jesus Christ, that when you get married, the only reason you can terminate that marriage is death and sexual immorality. That's it. And that's why theologians call it the exception clause. So I hope that's divorce is ending a marriage uh, most often in my experiences, I've witnessed for unscriptural reasons, but then there are a scriptural exception and basis upon which God does allow divorce, and that is sexual immorality, 
specifically adultery within the marriage union. Hmm. And that, if you look at Matthew 19, that's what Jesus teaches. And then the Pharisees come and they say in verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus says to them in verse 8, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And, and tying that in with being blameless. We're, we're, talking about, we're not just talking about the average churchgoer. We are talking about the under-shepherds of the Lord's church, the under-shepherd of the chief shepherd, pastor. And they must be blameless. Right. Why then, Brother John O., based off of Christ's teaching, based off of Paul's teaching, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, why is it so important for the pastor to be the husband of one wife? Let me answer a misunderstanding of Matthew chapter 19 first, and then I'll answer the question. Um, they said, why did Moses give the commandment to put away your wives. And then Jesus changed it. He corrected them in verse 8 and said, no, Moses permitted hmm. or suffered hmm. the King James Version. They had held this up as a commandment of Moses. You must do this. Yeah, you must. In other words, Moses commands this. This is good. And Jesus is saying, no, it was your sinful, wicked hearts that caused him not to command it, but to allow it. Hmm. And there's a big difference, brother, between a commandment and an allowance and a permission. And, th and, and see, this is the part of the problem I see in the church. We, we take something that was merely an allowance and we elevate it to the level of a commandment. Oh, I can do this. This, mm -hmm. is, this is permissible. This is, you know, I'm allowed to do this. Matter of fact, it'd be good if I did this. And that's why the disciples were totally shocked and rocked. Jesus rocked their world when he said, I say unto you from the beginning, Again, that goes back to what I said earlier. God made man and woman. The two become one flesh. What God's joined together, don't let any man put apart. Don't, don't end this relationship. And Jesus takes them all the way back, not to the rabbinical tradition, not to some allowance of Moses, some permission. He takes them all the way back to the original intent of God, reestablishes that, throws the gauntlet down, and says, if you do it for any other reason than this, you're committing adultery. And the problem that people have is this mushy-gushy, sentimental view of Jesus that he's just out there giving pious platitudes to people, giving people allowances to do stuff, saying that sin's not really a big deal. And Jesus throws the hammer down, and they think, well, this is inconsistent with yeah. the Jesus that we know. No, it's completely consistent. Christ, did, Christ came and completely upheld you know, God's word, and, and so much so that he takes us all the way back to the original Edenic design of God with Adam and Eve and said, this is the standard. It's never changed, and the only reason it changed is because of your wicked hardness. Moses made a mere allowance so that sin and perversion was just not multiplied mm -hmm. in, the, in the congregation of Israel. But never was it a commandment. It was merely an allowance. So that that's a huge disclaimer. Yep. But to answer your question, brother, blameless means above reproach. 
Blameless means there's no legitimate charge that can be levied against you. Blameless means that you're an example to the flock. That's what Paul told Timothy, you know, be an example to the flock in purity and holiness. Um, And how can I, as a pastor, be blameless and instruct my children, instruct my church, instruct the young couples, the old couples in our church of the sanctity of marriage and that this is to be a permanent union and to fight and struggle and war to, to, to not allow that marriage to end, to keep, that mar- keep those marriage vows, that covenant that you made, the espousals of your youth, as it's called in the Old Testament, the covenant that you make with, with your mate early in your life. How can I stand up and with any authority at all hold high marriage, hold high the sanctity of marriage, hold high you know, the family if, if, I'm, if I have a divorce? And, and so th- this is why the qualifications are so important, and this is why the Lord holds them so high. Paul left Titus on Crete to set those bones straight. That We get again that word ortho mm-hmm. from set it straight. And, brother, the church got a lot of crooked ideas when it comes to divorce. We don't need a man in the pulpit sending forth a mixed message. The, the world is replete and full of ending marriages over the most frivolous of reasons. We need a guy in the pulpit saying, until death do you part. You don't let anything separate you except death. And I would say even in the case, Matthew chapter 19, of sexual immorality, therefore adultery. I know he uses pornea, but then he uses moichia later in the text. Mm. When he says, if you marry someone that's put away, you commit adultery. I would maintain that the pornea in Matthew chapter 19 is also the moichia that's mentioned. In other words, the specific sexual immorality that he's talking about in Matthew chapter 19 is adultery. I would say that when even when there's adultery in a marriage, it's not like knee-jerk, okay, well, now I've got the exception, so I'm just going to rush out and get a divorce. I still believe that even then it would be God's will for you to go to a biblical counselor, go to your pastor, sit down, do reconciliation counseling, find forgiveness, release debts, and that marriage to be saved. And so even when there's adultery, I still believe that it glorifies God for them to spare that marriage. Well, that goes back to that disclaimer you gave. The Pharisees were saying command, Moses gave, and Jesus says no, permission. Right. Meaning, if you can't be reconciled, if you can't, you know, be brought back together, if there can't be forgiveness and mercy, then you are permitted. That's how I, you know, in in hearing that, that's, you know, how I see it. And and we wonder, I just had this all and didn't really, you know, see it going this way, but we wonder why... Marriage is not held high, even in the church. It's because it's not held high in the pulpit. 100%. 100%. And I've said it again and again and again and again, that churches don't rise above their leadership. This is why we have the qualifications, brother. And I would say that, as Paul told Titus, these are the things you've heard and learned now, if any be, and he lists the qualifications. I think the point is that this is what a pastor must be 
And once he meets those qualifications, then he should be calling out to men and women in the church to, to rise to those standards themselves. Amen. But it's quite, but it's required of the pastor. I'll go one back and say to you, brother, that in your outset, you asked me to define, you know, divorce. And I said, it's a sin and it is. But the second prong to that would be this brother, all my life and all my ministry, and I may be getting a little bit ahead of you, but we're going to get here. So might as well do it now. All my life and all my ministry, this, this is what I've heard. Well, uh, you know, the way it reads in the Greek is that the qualification is the pastor must be a one-woman kind of man. I've heard that all my <laughs> life, that a pastor must be a one-woman kind of man. Okay? I've done it many, many times, but I even enlarged on it this morning. King James Version. New King James Version. ESV. H, Home and Christian Standard, Christian Standard, New American Standard, and even the legacy translation that uh, Master Seminary just came out, every one of them translated husband of one wife. Now, everybody runs around and says it's a one-woman kind of man. Then here's what, here, then why does not <laughs> one English translation translate it that way? Yeah. If that's the translation, everybody insists that that's the right translation, then why is there not one credible English translation that translates it that way? Yeah. And I just I just don't believe it holds water. And let's discuss that. Uh, 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 you know, a uh, uh, one woman kind of man. Well, what does that mean? One today. How many? How often? And who sets the rules on how often? Mm. Well, I've heard guys say, well, there should be a pattern of years of consistency since his last marriage that show that he is inclined toward being a one woman. That's just a bunch of hogwash and baloney. It's a bunch of mumbling of words. Again, who gets to set the time limit? Is it five years mm -hmm. between his divorce and, and now that he's been with his new wife? Or is it eight years? Or is it 8.5? Or is it nine? Or is it 12? That there, the, the ambiguity is is just alarming. Yeah, or is it eight days? Yeah, I mean, so who gets to decide what a one woman kind of man is? And brother Ryan, I, as I looked at it, and I've been challenged, and I've had people that have forgotten more about the Bible than I know set me down and and try to argue this one woman kind of man thing that 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 this that a man can be divorced and still be a pastor if he's a one-woman kind of man. And, brother, it is ambiguous. There are no rules. There's no way to mediate it. There's no way to, 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 to apply that. There's no way to do it in a blameless way. It's all subjective. And, brother, as I look at it, that little three-letter word, one, Mia, M-I-A in the Greek, it means one. Unless your wife has died. Mm. It means one. And so, to me, it's just more consistent with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19. It's more consistent with God's original intent, one man and one woman. It's much simpler, and I'm not trying to just take the easy road, but to me it's much easier to defend and explain biblically, and there's less confusion about it 
when we come down to say as a local church, and a brother that disagrees with me, I still love you, I hope you still love me, but Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church, has that's caused us to arrive at the conclusion that we're not going to have a divorced deacon. Hmm. We're not going to have a divorced pastor. That's just, we believe that's a violation of the qualifications. And we're not going to get into all of the, you know, uh, subjective time periods and lengths and what a one-woman man is by this standard and that standard. That we have to discern. That we have to discern. It's easier for me to say when Jesus said one, he meant it. Hmm. What about, you've mentioned death and you've mentioned adultery. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 7, desertion. And we kind of briefly looked at it, but... What about in the case of desertion? If if a wife just leaves a husband? Yes. Well, again, here's the problem I have with that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, if a man puts away his wife, except, that's why it's called the exception cause. Some would say for any other reason, uh and is joined to another, he commits an oath. That's another reason. Mm. Desertion would be another reason, in my estimation. Um, that would be enlarging upon what Jesus said, and Jesus was definitive. He said, except. This is the only allowable exception. So with that in mind, with Matthew chapter 19 in mind, when I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I don't think Paul is saying that desertion is grounds for divorce and remarriage. I don't think that's what he's no. saying at all. As a matter of fact, when you read the entire chapter, I think the case could be made for, and he talks about a believer that's married to an unbeliever. If the unbeliever departs, let him depart. It, it simply means that they depart. It doesn't mean you divorce them. As a matter of fact, he says, you know, remain as you are. Mm. Um he comes all the way to the end of that section of Scripture, all the way down to the end. And listen to what he says. He says, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, then she's at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. Is that not exactly, brother? Is that not exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter yep. 19? That's Matthew 19. So that's Paul's concluding thought. If, if a, we got a brother in our church and his wife, quote, deserts him, she leaves him, she packs up, she leaves him, that brother comes to me and says, okay, I'm, I'm going to divorce her. I'm free to remarry. I'm going to say no. No, brother. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to beg God to, to for her soul. We're going to enact the case of church discipline. We're going to reach out to her. We're going to go to her. We're going to take other brothers with us. We're going to reprove her and rebuke her and, and exhort her. Again, this is that nebulous time period, Ryan. Mm. Uh, what constitutes desertion? Is yeah. it a weekend? Yeah. Is it five <laughs> days? Is it five months? Is it five years? Again, who gets to set that that unquantified time period God didn't specify yeah. for us. I think what he's simply saying is if they depart, you let them depart, but you're bound to them. You continue to pray for them. You you, you continue to plead for them. You, you beg God to bring them back. You, you pray for God to change their hearts. You pray for God to intervene and for there to be a miracle. 
and and you you pray for the Lord to 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 change them and bring them back, not just say, okay, well now I've got a biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage. See, and that's the whole point I'm trying mm-hmm. to make. These mindsets just cheapen and, and cause us to be more careless with a high and a holy institution that God has ordained. Yeah. And it causes us to 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 be lax, in my opinion, and loose yeah. when we ought to be like Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. Settled and defined. Absolutely. And, and that's, even as I listen, and I know those those of you that are listening, if, if you're listening and you care at all, especially pastors about your people, questions are coming up in your mind. Well, what about this? What, what about this? What, what about in this case? We all have them. I mean, they're they're kind of running through my mind as we're sitting sure. here discussing these things, not saying they're wrong, not saying they're bad, but we can't allow the what ifs. What if this situation or what if that situation or this over here to determine our path in these matters? Yeah, because they're always going to change. And it almost always comes down to something like this. Well, I just believe God wants me to be happy. I just believe God wants me to be happy. I just believe God doesn't want me to be alone. I just believe God wants me to have companionship. And so what becomes Scripture to us at the end of the day are our emotions and feelings Mm -hmm. rather than the Word of the Lord. Let me tell you this, brother. The words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 19 are so definitive, most people don't believe that they can actually mean what they say. I do. I believe that Jesus meant what he said and said what he meant. And this is what he said. For this cause will a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Wherefore, there are no more two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put apart. Uh, They said to him, Why did Moses then give us a commandment of writing a divorcement to put her away? Jesus said, Moses because of the hardness of your hearts allowed or suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Mm. And I say to you, listen to this, whoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication and shall marry another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples had those questions running through their minds, Mm -hmm. just like you. And here was one of them. If that's the case with the man and his wife, It'd be better for a man not to marry, yep. which was exactly the response Jesus was hoping to elicit. And that is this. You better make sure that this is a biblical marriage before you consummate it. So you don't get unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. You don't marry someone that's not of your faith. You you don't marry someone that you already argue and fuss and fight with. Mm. You, you don't marry someone Christian that's already shown you that it's not a match, mm-hmm. that, that it's not going to be a, a compatible relationship. The best way to handle that is not to consummate it. Yeah. Jesus is saying, you're right. It would be better for you not to marry than it would be to marry and the thing in a, in a divorce. So, brother, we got to do two things. We've got to elevate our marriage counseling on the front end yeah. so that people understand what God's will for marriage is, and then we got to constantly preach that all the time to hold high the marriage covenant and not acquiesce to a world today where what is it now? 60-70% of the marriages end in divorce, and by the way, the statistics of the world are not any different from Baptist churches. As a matter of fact, the divorce rate among Baptists 
is higher than the world. All I can tell you is that we must be getting something wrong about our theology of divorce and marriage. And I submit to you we are. Jesus said what he meant, and he meant what he said. Marriage is serious. It's a one-time life commitment. And if you're playing loose and fast with that in your mind, you've already sown the seeds for failure. Mm. We, We have to hold the standard where Jesus held it. And then we take that and translate that over to the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 for pastors, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 16 for deacons, Titus 1, 5 through 9 for pastors, and that is we interpret husband of one wife as not divorced. That's our stance, and we've never wavered on that. And, and, and so we try to hold marriage and the marriage covenant brother where Jesus held it so that people feel the weight and the severity. Can I say one other thing? Mm-hmm. When I came here to Ten this church, <laughs> when I came to Shelbyville Mills in January of 2000, when I walked through the doors, there were, I think, four or five couples in the church presently undergoing divorce. That's what I walked into. Now, that was at the outset. Came in, preached on the family, preached on divorce and remarriage. A lot of people got mad. A lot of people left over that. But to be fair, and I remember, if I remember correctly, in your questionnaire, pastoral questionnaire, it was that, all there. It was all there. I laid it out as clear as you possibly can. The search committee knew at one thousand percent. I I told them what my convictions were straight up, right up front. Deacons knew everything. Everything was laid out there. I still have that questionnaire, by the way, in my in my file right now. Uh, but while we have, let me say this to put it in perspective for you, first month on the field, four or five divorces going on since that time. We may since that time in the other twenty three years plus, we may have had four or five, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe. We just haven't had that many at all, no. brother. It's it's just not something that. And why? What's the difference? I believe the difference is blameless in his house that the standard is husband of one wife that's my personal experience that's what's preached that's what's held up before our people that's what's expected of other pastors and elders that's what's expected of deacons there's a high bar marriage is holy it's sacred in the eyes of god we don't play loose and fast with it and that all goes back to why you ask me is the qualification there. That's why it's there. Mm. Like begets like. And if the pastor plays loose and fast with this issue of divorce, his people are going to. But if he holds the line at Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus holds it, that will become the standard. It's not to say that there won't be some divorces. And by the way, pastors, you need to chew on this. When there is an unscriptural divorce in your church, and that is anything other than sexual immorality. When there is an unscriptural divorce in your church, that becomes a church discipline issue because those two people are in rebellion to God's word. They are getting a divorce for an unscriptural reason. That is sin. It's the sin of the highest order, and it's to be called into account, and it's to be disciplined and to be censured so that other people don't follow that example. Mm. People think I'm being harsh and 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 hard look at the results on the other side yeah 
Look at the numbers of divorce in our churches. Look at the frivolous, careless view of divorce in our, and remarriage in our churches. And I'll submit to you 100% of the time, it's because the standard has been compromised. Yep. The standard that Jesus Christ laid down that even his disciples struggled with. Yeah. And there's a lot of people struggling with what I'm saying right now, I guarantee it. But this has been my firm, fixed position for 35 years. And I say it humbly, brother, I've seen no biblical reason at all for me to change my position. Amen. We've talked about it um, privately, uh, and it just kind of hit me. I, I think it may be good as we go through these qualifications to kind of answer this question, but we've talked privately about um, sins that a pastor can commit that are ministry-ending. Right. Would you say this is one of them? Absolutely. You notice no hesitation. Absolutely. I will not lay hands on a man that's been divorced. Not going to do it. For deacon or for or for pastor, not going to do it. That's my position. I do not perform marriages or weddings for people that have been divorced. Haven't done it, not going to. Uh, again, made this decision in my 20s, brother. Um, this is where I decided that I was going to stand. This is It's based on what I believe the scriptures teach. And, and so I believe it's a disqualification. I do with all of my heart. If a, if a man has been divorced, uh, and I would go so far as to say pre or post conversion, mm. it, it, it's immaterial. Yeah, I, it, it always, I, I get uneasy when people talk about pre conversion. I was divorced. You can hide a whole lot of sin under that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you commit, you commit fraud and are, you know, charged by the United States government, the, the courts yep. uh, with a felony, just because you got saved, they're not wiping it clean. Yep. Well, understand there's forgiveness and grace and mercy, and, and Christ has wiped it clean. But Again, let me say this and state this. A lot of brothers haven't thought about this. Marriage is an institution created by God that binds you whether you're Christian or not. Mm. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or unbeliever. This is the law of God that surpasses all human laws and opinions. And God said a man and a woman leave their mother and father to become one flesh. By the way, that's before a Jewish nation was even birthed and born. Mm. God laid this down for all of humanity. This was the original design of God. And so therefore... Pre-conversion, post-conversion really has nothing to do with it. One is one. If you're a lost man, one is one. Yeah. If you're a saved man, one means one. <laughs> lost or saved doesn't change what yeah. one means. And so that, again, is another shell game that people try to play to get what they want. This yeah. is a good brother. Uh, he's really good. He believes right. And he is. Sound doctrine. He's gifted. Look at all these things, brother. I see it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he's qualified to be a pastor. Brother, when you start doing that kind of justification in your mind, that's why the church is in the shape it's in today, mm -hmm. is that we have created all kinds of exceptions based upon giftedness and ability and talent. I mean, if that's your standard, then you there then there is no standard. Yeah. There is no standard. Either either the qualifications are qualifications and mean what they say, or it's a free fall. Mm. And we're pretty much in a free fall. Yeah. Well, 
as we look to close, I think it's no mistake, and we kind of talked about this in the last episode, but it's there's no mistake we have these two two groupings, and we start in, in that man's house. Yep. And then we get to God's house, because what he is at home is what he's going to be in the Lord's house, not not vice versa. What he is privately is what he eventually becomes publicly. You may be able to hide it for a season, but eventually private is going to become public. Mm. Um, and I think it's no mistake that the Holy Spirit begins here with husband of one wife. Yes. this ha- That has to be settled and determined. It does, brother. And what I would say, and I've done this, and I know when we do these podcasts, brother, it's kind of light and, you know, we don't, we can't divine out the depths of all the little tributaries Mm -hmm. that run off in people's minds. I would just challenge anybody listening to do what I've done. Fast, pray with your Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 19 and chapter 5 and, and other texts as well. And, um, don't let public opinion enter into that prayer closet. Don't let sentiment or sentimentalism enter in. Don't let the pressure of an overbearing mother that says to you, young man, you are going to perform this wedding. This mm. is your cousin. <laughs> you don't let any of those things enter into the picture. You want to say you believe in sola scriptura? Well, let's see if you do. Let's put the rubber to the road here and find out if you're actually going to be sola scriptura. And that is, are you going to do what the scripture says? And you have to spend time with God, and you have to come to the conclusions on your own of where you're going to stand on these hot-button issues. And you better, because they're going to be pushed. People are going to test you on them. And you have to learn how to respond in love with mm-hmm. grace and mercy in your heart, and yet firmness that you you are resolved. You're resolved. This I'm not going to uh, you know, acquiesce because of pressure. And believe me, there will be pressure. And it doesn't go away when you get older. Hopefully, you're a little bit more settled mm. and you don't go through some of the emotions you did when you were younger and fear. But at the same time, the test never goes away. It always is there. Um, people always have questions. You, the, divorce uh, is one of those questions that keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up. And you just have to speak to it again, and you have to speak to it again and again. About every time you ordain someone, yeah. you're going to have to speak to it again. Um, or you have a new person join your church, you're going to have to speak to it again. Um, so it's it's good counsel that you, if you disagree with everything I've said, at least you can walk away that I've given you counsel. This is one you better get nailed down. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I just add... As you're trying to determine these things, exactly, Pastor, as you said, put away all the gainsayers or emotions <laughs> and emotions and fill with the Spirit, open up the Word of God, determine what say the Scriptures. And then even after that, as you're coming to the, those defining conclusions, pick up the phone and, and call pastors that have walked out their conclusions and not flip-flopped, you know, and maybe that's different than yours, Brother Jono, but at least they've walked it out, whatever it is. I think you've just raised a very, very important 
issue here, brother, and that is you can cherry pick counsel to get it to be what you want it to be. And by the way, in my estimation, the brother who has the opinion on divorce and remarriage that hasn't suffered for the church and bled for the church and, and bled for his convictions within the context of the local church doesn't have a lot to say. He's just a rambling theologue, in my mm. opinion. I want to talk to the pastor that has turned the wedding down. I want to talk to the pastor that's led the church not to ordain the brother. I want to talk to the pastor that rescinded the ordination of yeah. the man because he was no longer qualified, not some you know, uh, theory guy out there that works in a laboratory and has all the right answers. That's anybody can talk about war from the air conditioned room. They had never been on the front lines. And so I'm like you, brother. I want to talk to the brother whose theological convictions have been borne out in the dirt and the sweat of the of the earth and the church. And that and he's had to stand in real places and look at real people eyeball to eyeball mm. and that this is settled conviction and not just uh, pontificating, yeah. you know. Amen. Well, Pastor, you you mentioned real people. And let's say that a brother or sister uh, comes to you and they've had an unscriptural divorce, but now they're on the other side and they've been remarried and they are sitting uh, underneath your preaching and hear this for the first time and are troubled, they're distressed, not sure what to do. What's your counsel to them? I've had it happen many times, and this is why I say you need to understand and make your position and think it through because you, you are going to be questioned. And I can tell you, brother, that when they come to me and they're sincere like that, my first thing is I love them. I'm going to communicate my love to them. And here's what I'm going to say. Brother, I understand that you got divorced. You didn't have a scriptural grounds for divorce. So neither do you have a scriptural grounds for remarriage. Acknowledge that to the Lord. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us mm -hmm. of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Acknowledge that to the Lord. Agree with him about it. But now you're in that marriage. You're in it. And the word of God for you now is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 27. If you're bound to a wife, don't seek to be loosed. So this, is a, this again, is, is binding in the sight of God. Even though you consummated it in a wrong way, uh, ignorantly on your part, some people do it deliberately, but when God convicts you of a sin, you repent of this just like you repent of any sin. You ask the Lord to forgive you. You realize that you're in a marriage now. You be committed to that marriage for the rest of your life and don't ever contemplate divorce again, you know. And so there is mercy, there is forgiveness, and that's the way I've answered that many times through the years. Well, and I, my mind just went back to Jesus and the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. And he, and he told her, the man you're with now is not your husband. That's right. Don't go back to that man. Go back to your husband, mm -hmm. the man you're bound to. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Whatever marriage you're in and however you got here, you're here. Mm. And uh, the law demands that you uh, remain in that covenant and be faithful to that covenant. Um, but whatever sin got you here, have you ever agreed with God about mm. it? Have you ever acknowledged it to the Lord? Have you ever asked him to forgive you? Have you ever repented? Or do you just, well, this is so prevalent in my culture, I don't have to. No. Mm. When the Spirit of God convicts you of a sin, you agree with him about it. And this is what I always encourage people to do. What about uh, just before we close, the, the pastor who has maybe 
um, not taking a firm stance and, and kind of went back and forth on these things and, and maybe performed some marriages mm-hmm. that unscriptural, that yeah. sinful. Yes. Well, I would hope he would repent um, and not dig that hole any deeper. Ask the Lord to forgive him and make a commitment. Lord, I'll not go there again. It's never too late to change. Amen. And so you don't help your case by digging the hole deeper. Acknowledge it to the Lord and ask God to forgive you. He will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly forgive. And then, uh, you know, repentance means to change directions. Go in, the, go in the right path. No longer go in that wrong way. At some point, we have to cease and desist and we have to Mm. change and uh, repent and do a u-turn and um, begin to follow the lord's word and not just whatever mindset we were under that led us down that wrong path and probably uh practically walk that out patiently within your church amen amen brother absolutely amen well we hope and pray that this has been been helpful and uh, Pastor, I mean, you, you say it all the time. Listeners, we, we try to remind you um, we do this podcast not to just pontificate and, mm. and put out some other material for you to listen to. Uh, we do it because we uh, deeply care about you, your ministry. We care about the Lord's church um, and the, the church being healthy, the church being what Christ uh, desires, what the scriptures teach us for it to be. And so if you're out there, th- this is a major issue. Absolutely. Uh, and it's one, as, as we've stressed enough, uh, for you to be settled on. We're here to help. Um, as I said, you're probably listening in questions and situations, and maybe you're even going through the thick of it right now in your church. Pick up the phone and call us. Uh, we're here to help. Uh, Brother Jono, you, you're always willing to help those men of God navigate through these things. Um, so please... Uh, Let us bear this burden with you and help you in any way we possibly can. Um, And with that being said, Brother Jono, anything else um, left to to leave our listeners with? Well, just, you know, don't run from the tough things. Mm. Don't run from the hard things. Um, Again, don't think for a minute, Pastor, that there's an easy way out of this and I'll just acquiesce. I guarantee you whichever direction you go, you're going to offend a lot of people on the other side. Better just to determine as best you can what the Scripture says and stand there, and at least you'll be at least you'll be standing for truth mm-hmm. and let the chips fall where they fall. You won't offend Christ. That's right. That's right. Which is what matters. That's right. Well, again, we thank you for listening. Uh, we do hope if you cannot attend the True Church Conference uh, starting this Thursday, uh, Grace Life Church of Muscle Shoals that you can listen. You can go to their Facebook page. Everything will be live streamed um, daily. The conference start, starts Thursday night and carries into Sunday morning. Uh, Brother Jono, you'll get to preach Friday night and Sunday morning. Brother Jeff's kind of tabbed you with two of the bigger mm. slots there, so we'll be praying for you. Uh, but we thank you for listening and hope you're with us again soon. Thank you for listening to the Faithful Expositor. For more information on Brother Jono's ministry, go to our church website, smbconline.com, and follow him on Twitter at Jono Sims.